Now that Iron Man has turned renegade, the captain has decided to bring him in, but his old friend and ally isn't coming quietly. Meanwhile, the world meets new Captain America's partner, Battlestar, and as if that weren't enough, an all-out war is breaking out within the Sinister Serpent Society. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Fivey. And today we're going to read Captain America issue 341 here on Speechless. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Armor Wars, where we are continuing to cover definitely, I think, the low the low part of the Iron Wars at this point. Spoilers for what we're about to talk about. Yeah. Um, so, for a little more context, um, uh, Mark Grunewald, at this point in time, uh, had started to turn Captain America as a comic more into an anthology comic uh we didn't see it really last uh issue but around this time i think it's from here going forward but it kind of dips back in and out um it's the 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 comic kind of bifurcates at least into following uh steve rogers and then of course the new captain america john walker and occasionally also getting into this weird superhero soap opera of the serpent society and so this is a good representative example of kind of what Grunewald was trying to do, even though in and of itself, it, it's not a good individual comic to read because you really need to have been following Captain America at this point to understand half of what's going on in this comic. Agreed. For for me, I'd rather have all the stories sort of inter, intertwined instead of broken yeah. off into little pieces of themselves. Yeah, if it had been like a couple of pages of these inter- intermixed, which is more traditional for this kind of comic, I mean, like, like uh, Claremont's X-Men does that a lot. Um, uh, but instead, uh, Grunewald went with very kind of explicit chaptering of each of these stories. Uh, like I said, it's much more kind of a 2080 anthology style rather than, uh, like you said, weaving the threads through. Um, and, and I agree. It, it's, it's, it's a struggle to read. Um, I remember when I read the, uh, uh, whole run of this, this was a part where it, it really started to slow down for me. Um, because it, the, these, these stories, don't we're at a stage where they don't really connect at all. They're doing three different things. It's really three different comics at this point. And, and so there's not really any overlap. Which if I remember right, this is actually where I broke off and I stopped collecting Captain America because of this. Because I saw it, I was like, no, no, I don't like the way it feels. I'd rather fully engage in one story or the other. Or they could have made three different cap books how they had six different Spider-Man. Like right. Captain America. The the American Boy Scout, Captain America, or <laughs> Tap Vengeance 1990. Like three different titles. But so, so what you're saying is you desperately wanted a Serpent Society spinoff comic. Given the spoiler now 30 years that Cap and Diamondback get into a relationship. Yes, I, I would have read some of that. Cap and his Serpent Society girlfriend battling evil. <laughs> That's fair, actually. Uh, I, I do have some. Surprisingly positive thoughts about that. But let's start with the first story. Um, uh, all of these are written by Mark Runewald, uh, penciled by Kieran Dwyer, Al, inks by Alan Migram, uh, Jack Marley's letters. So these are the same team we had the past last Captain America issue. Uh, so in this, um, we start with uh, uh, Tony Stark going into, we only call it his, his humble abode, so we think it's one of his houses or apartments uh 
Uh, he's brought bring, bring, a woman home with him, and we see Steve Rogers sitting in the dark, alone, waiting for him. Not at all creepy. <laughs> uh, and then um, uh, they, they just miss the fact that the guy's, you know, there's a guy in the apartment. He turns around, it's like, oh, it's you. And it's like, oh, this is a friend of Iron Man's. Could you go, you know, uh, uh, leave now? And she just gets shoved out the door. <laughs> this is where my issue started. Like, Cap <laughs> in the room by himself waiting. I was perfectly cool with because it shows how awesome Cap is. Sure. It also shows how, <clears throat> I guess, patient he is given that he's like, geez, he's finally here. That means <laughs> Cap has been sitting in that chair for hours. Right. No snacks, no beverages, just waiting. <laughs> but <clears throat> he's waiting without his mask on, even if he was going to turn in Tony. Like, that gives away both their secret identities. I don't think Cap's a secret right now, but still. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. You're still superheroes. Even if you're going to turn him in, then authorities would know, but not like Joe Blow on the street would know that Iron Man is Tony Stark. Right. And also, it, it's it's just kind of weird because, like, Tony Tony's startled, so he can't come up with a lie, like, off the bat. But he's like, it's a friend of Iron Man's, which is the guy he fired. And uh, it's like, um, you know... Uh, I'm, I'm just going to get this girl out of here. Um, and she just get she's mad and she gets shoved out the door. And you, know, you, I wouldn't do it if it wasn't important. I have to meet with this. I have a business meeting with this very important outlaw. Because that's the other thing is like Steve Rogers, his identity is known. He was publicly fired. Well, not, no, I'm sorry. No, he was replaced. My apologies. Mm-hmm. not fired. He was replaced. Um, but he is not Captain America. The next story sets up who the public understands to be Captain America. So it, 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 the whole thing just feels a bit weird. Um, but I agree with you. I do like the fact that they do sell that he went through all of his security devices to just sit there. And there is certainly a psychological element of, 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 of screaming between his head to a degree. And the other thing is uh, the the woman that they just unceremoniously push out the door. Also, that reflects on who Tony is, given that she's heard his reputation and that is why she is there. It's yeah. not that she likes Tony, but she knows all this stuff that Tony does for people. And she wants right. to get a little piece of that. Right. <clears throat> Which weirdly does play out. Tony's right now, he's going through this. Uh, we've talked a little bit about it, but like, who does he trust and who cares about him versus who wants to get stuff out of him. So it is an interesting nod towards that ongoing story for Tony. Um, which granted a lot of, oh no, it's so hard to be rich and white. I mean, I get it, but um, <laughs> for a one page beat here, it, it just, it, just it, it feels a bit clunky. Let's just back up that term. Oh yeah. Most of this issue is clunky. Like that's, I'm, I'm giving that to the issue. Like that's my give for everything that right. we go going forward. Um, so, uh, uh, Steve Rogers is here for three reasons. One is he wants to return the shield and to kind of recap the fact that Tony made the shield for him. And a little later on, um, Steve basically acknowledges that it was basically a bribe. And so he can't take it because it's a bribe. Uh, he says, second, um, by the way, your jailbreak involved in shockingly village escaping and Tony <laughs> like, Oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. If I had known, I would have, it's like, Tony, Tony, come on. You knew, you knew. <laughs> but then we can go back to our constant talk to of like strategy and tactics 
or right. something that Tony is severely lacking in. Right. And, and I think it's one of the reasons, to digress a bit, I think it's one of the reasons why Steve Rogers and Tony Stark actually work well together is because Tony is good at strategy and Steve is good at tactics. So together, they're really, really great. But when they're against each other, we start to see the conflict. Cap sometimes doesn't see the larger game. He kind of just rushes in and solves individual problems. In this case, I'm going to break into this guy's apartments and arrest him. That seems like a perfectly solid plan. And if you're Captain America, that actually is a genuinely decent, solid plan. He doesn't think Works through... Works about 80% of the time. Right. What happens next, that's a problem for future Steve Rogers to deal with, you know? But no, it's, <laughs> it's Steve Rogers that believes, even though he's been fired by the government, that the government and the legal system will do what it is meant to do. Right. Like, the true Captain America believing in the system that's in place. And if it doesn't mm -hmm. work, he thinks that people will then go and fix that system. Instead right. of someone just breaking and breaking all the rules of the system in society. Mm -hmm. And um, which is the third point is that he's here to kind of arrest uh, uh, Tony Stark. And again, we're, it's a little clunky because Tony seems surprised by this. <laughs> like you can't be serious about arresting me. And it's like, we just had this conversation last issue of Captain America. This isn't even like the Iron Man comic we're talking about now. The last issue of Captain America, we had this exact same conversation where Cap, Cap exactly tried to arrest you. <laughs> but think about it now. This is me giving Tony something, but think about it from Tony's perspective. I just went to the West Coast Avengers. They had their own little trial, and basically they kicked me out of the Avengers. No one mm -hmm. tried to arrest me or bring me in for all these illegal actions I've done to date. Other than Steve, but he's not he's not an Avenger anymore, I don't really think, or he's not for the government. He's just right. a rogue. Like right. all of them nothing. Like people with actual power that could have stopped Iron Man. Yes, because because Steve 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 at this point in time is a man who's kind of not really in one place, some kind of, I don't know, nomad, if you will. <laughs> <clears throat> that joke was just for Chris. <laughs> I resisted making a follow-up joke about Vagabond. <laughs> Barely. Um, uh, but anyway, so uh, Tony's like, you can't be serious. And, and there's a cool book, Scott, but it's just the um, panel with, the, with Steve's eyes, um, which is that you don't need to, he doesn't need to say anything. And Tony's like, okay, yep, this is happening. So distracts um, Steve by throwing a shield, grabs his suitcase, and changes into the armor. And again, this is uh, uh, a little more sympathetic to this one. It's again a little clunky because uh, Tony's like, I thought if he would just stop if I wore the armor. It's like, again, last issue. We just had this conversation. He has no fear of you. But in this case, I also see a bit of Tony lying to himself a little bit. Of like, I just don't want to have this fight. So that, that's his rationale. I, I want to take a moment, a beat to go. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we had Steve toss him the shield offhandedly. Mm -hmm. That almost dropped Tony. To then Tony throwing the shield back and running into a bedroom and changing into the Iron Man armor in the amount of time it takes Steve to jump over the couch. Like, right. I I want to I want to stress that Su armor in suitcase. Right. Steve jumping over couch, but he's fully armored before Steve gets to the door. Right. Right. There's there's some there's some time compression problems here. Yes, I completely agree with that. 
And even if I go with the Iron Man 2 movie logic where he puts on like the blue armored suit, he has to put his arms out. Then it has to go like clink, 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 clink. Right. To form. So in comic, in gaming terms, he took from a, an action that would have taken like an hour. He made it into not a standard action, but a move action to put on that right. armor. Nay, nay. He ran into the ran into the room. A swift action. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, so Steve advances. He's like, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab you and take you in. Um, and uh, I'm going to sk- skip over a little bit because basically the rest of the, the story is a bit of a fight, but there's a couple of interesting bits. Like um, uh, Steve actually says, despite our power level difference, I have the advantage because I am anticipating Tony will not unleash his full power in his own home. So again, we're seeing that the tactics happening there. Tony's thinking longer game about how do I get out of this and, and, you know, deal with the repercussions of it. But Steve's in the moment. It's like, okay, I have the advantage. I'm going to jump behind him so I can get away from all of his forward facing weaponry. That isn't said, but it's kind of implied visually by the language of the comic, which is nice. It does look like he's trying to strangle Iron Man, which looks weird, but I'm actually reading it as if I'm behind you, I, there's nothing I can do. Uh, Iron Man throws him over into the couch, said couch that he jumped over. So I think his best tactical move, given that we know that Iron Man has these little eye slots that go up and down, is mm-hmm. to three stooges Tony and just poke oh. him in the eyes. <laughs> but that's that's just why... That's my combat skill, so take that for what you will. Well, I mean, I, I guess I don't know how big the slots are. I mean, I, I suppose they would be finger-sized. They have to be finger-sized to, to have the whole eye be able to see through them, I guess. Yeah. And as Same. I'm sitting here poking myself with my fingers, which makes, which makes for great audio. It, it's a great visual for me, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Iron Man tries to fly away. Uh, Captain America grabs him. Iron Man um, energizes his boots, which forces Cap to let go. Um, and of course they're talking about, uh, it, 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 it's, uh, this is a matter of honor, um, where Tony's stance is, and this is an interesting point that kind of gets glossed over sadly. And this is the only place we even really address it. Tony thought that Steve would understand what it would need to reclaim someone abusing your legacy because of what happened to him, where he had Captain America taken away from him. So he thought, I thought you would understand someone taking something you've built and using it against you and against the innocent. And Steve's stance is there is a certain kind of intrinsic honor that people like them have to have, that even if you are pushed into a corner, you cannot take those steps. And he thought Tony understood that honor. And it's a really interesting character point that is covered in two panels in the middle of a fight and then ignored. And it's frustrating because that should have been a whole issue, right? That should have been this issue. This whole issue is them dealing with that conflict because both have a valid point there. So, I mean, I mean as, even as the readers were kind of going, yeah, Steve, you got screwed. You should do something about that. And he just consistently isn't throughout his run. But at the same time, we're also looking at Tony going, okay, but don't but, – but not that way, you know, <laughs> it's like, you shouldn't be doing that. So there, it, we can see some sympathetic to each side and it's just not really dug into. 
But it's that thing that constantly goes back to the morality of being a superhero. Like codes and honors and words don't mean anything that if you're pushed any at all or to the limit, you break them. That mm. that's not that just means that you don't really have a line. You're just pretending to have something. So I know it's shocking for the listeners that I am in agreement with Cap on this point. Stunned, stunned. But it's true. That makes you not a hero. Then all that things that you're doing are for your own personal fame, glory, and so forth. And for some aspect for Tony, that's true because Iron Man working for Stark Enterprises makes Stark, before he got fired, made Stark Enterprises that much cooler because, man, I want to work with Tony Stark. He has a superhero on the payroll. I want to go and like do stuff with this person, which therefore made Tony more money and it gave Iron Man more fame. Right. And regardless of like he's saying that someone is using his, but they're not using Tony's legacy. They're using technology they stole from Tony. It's right. a difference for Cap where they literally stole Cap's identity to give to someone else to pretend to be him. And I'm with you on that, but also I can see why Tony equates them because Tony's self-identity is very much as an inventor. If he doesn't, if he can't invent, he doesn't see himself as existing. So I could see why he could look at his technology being duplicated and going, that is a personal attack on me. So I could see why he's equating them, but I agree with you as a false equivalency. He should have gone and hired the greatest, most powerful entity in all of the universe to track these people down. No, oh, no. You know where I'm going. Please, please put me on that misery. The IP law agent. <laughs> It would have gone out and attacked every single person because they stole Tony's IP and destroyed them where they stand. Which would it would involve? I would have involved him patenting his stuff first, which was the whole problem. Much like Reed Richards, I got to say these geniuses, not so smart. <laughs> yes, yes. There's that digression, but one of my favorite ongoing tropes of the Fantastic Four comic is when the Fantastic Four goes, oh, by the way, we're out of money. Or, oh, whoops, we accidentally lost their license to Unstable Molecules again um, because <laughs> they just don't know how to run themselves as a company. And I, it's, I just endlessly find that hilarious because like, we're a family, we're a family. Wait, what? We have to do money? <laughs> um, but anyway, so Iron Man zaps uh, Cap. Um, and there's kind of a, a neat little line of like, if only I had my shield, I could have deflected his beam. Um, so it's like, yeah, maybe you should have thrown that away there, there, Steve. Uh, but it goes back <laughs> to your own moral code, like, right, right, right. And willing to take the consequences for your actions, which is but, something I mean, that's, Steve that's, has that's, always been willing to do that Tony hasn't. Right. No, that I mean that is that is really, in particular, the Grunwald run, but largely Captain America as a comic as a whole, which is. Steve's standards are so high and he holds himself to high standards that he makes he, he makes these problems for himself, but he doesn't begrudge beating in the problem. It's like, nope, I made a decision. It sucks. I recognize it sucks. Every once in a while, I'll question it. But at the end of the day, I'm going to just power through and solve that problem in spite of the, the decisions I made. Um, so I, I'm not at all Steve, but it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a neat note of he made a decision, even in the short story, he made a decision early story, and then he paid for the consequences of that decision. But at no point do we get the impression that Steve regrets that. It's like, no, I, I still would do that now, but so, it sucks. Slight digression. <clears throat> do you know of any comic run or anyone that's ever given Steve like a Green Lantern ring? 
because it would be interesting to, to try to get a gauge of Steve's willpower to use a Green Lantern ring. Um, no, but uh, there was an event in the 90s, uh, Marvel versus DC, uh, where they actually crossed over for four issues. And for a brief point, um, uh, it was Crisis Infinite Universe nonsense. And so to solve the problem, they briefly actually joined both the Marvel and DC universe. And so for 12 issues and then a follow-up run of 12 issues, just for the hell of it, um, they there's a component called Amalgam, which actually was a joint combination of them. And so Steve Rogers was basically um, merged with Superman. Uh, and so he became Super Soldier. Yeah. I remember that, but I'm trying to think of one where he had like a Green Lantern ring. No, no, no. He never, he never had that. Um, I think that was. Oh, I'm trying to remember my amalgam lore. This is, this is really tough. I believe the Green Lantern was merged with Ghost Rider in amalgam. I can't um, remember. It's been too long since I've read that. Run. No, no, Although, I'm sorry, no, he, no. I'm sorry. Ghost Rider was merged with Flash because he became Speed Demon. That's right. And now that you say we, it, the, the picture of that has popped into my brain. If people don't right. know what Speed Demon looks like, go Google it. Yes, it, it's going to be pretty much what you expect. And to be fair, a lot of Amalgam was based off of how much of this, how much of this can we make puns out of, really. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, that would be interesting to see that, that kind of respect. I mean, we have seen lots of more anecdotal examples of Steve's willpower. I mean, the, the original Secret Wars comic, for example. Yeah. Uh, uh, he basically held a team together in extremely chaotic environments. Uh, so, so I mean, and that was that was just massively impressive. Just a, a side tangent, right? Uh, okay, so uh, Iron Man escapes, um, uh, and basically, to, and sorry, uh, Steve's like, I have no doubt he has the resources to elude me until all, unless I were to devote all my time and efforts tracking him down. So basically. We have wrapped up this storyline for Captain America. Um, and, and and so Steve's like, do I forego all of my other responsibilities to go after this one Rogue Avenger? And ultimately he's like, no, it's better to give Tony a chance to restore his honor. Uh, and for all the weirdness of this, this story, I do like that last beat because it does feel very authentic to Steve Rogers. It's because he's initially coming at it from a tactical perspective. I don't have the resources to take down Iron Man. I can do it, but I have to give up everything else. And then it's like, no, I have a whole other comic I got to take care of. So I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm done with this crossover. Thank you. I, I got to say, though, on this page, and you get the, you've had some great Iron Man shots. And if you look at the top panel on the last page, those are some big ice slots. All right. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, swole. Three Stooges would have won, and I leave it at that. Fair enough, fair enough. Your, 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 your theory stands. But then, of course, you get into the weirdness of Iron Man's mask. Like, where does his nose go? You know what I mean? So it's... <laughs> or why does he have muscles? Right. I mean, you don't need a six-pack when you're covered in armor. <laughs> Uh, and, and this route leads to why does the bat suit have nipples? You know, so. It's... And I'm going to say one more time since we're leaving Steve here is mm -hmm. that I liked that that uniform, like the new the cap the uniform one, that had yeah. like the red boots with like the black with it. Ah, oh, beautiful! I wish it would come back. Yeah, I mean, we had 
the Civil War movie kind of had a, a nod to this, um, but it was really just taking the blue out of his normal uniform and putting it in black instead. It wasn't quite the same broad stripes across the chest look. That it, it, it is a very cool look. And you're right, it is a costume that didn't stick around long enough. Okay, so we go on to the second story, which is free speech. Uh, and um, it starts with uh, John Walker's partner, who was originally named Bucky. And uh, he is, uh, we, we go see a flashback of him talking to um, one of the guards at the vault, uh, who's black. He kind of explains, hey, this is why that name's a terrible fucking idea and why that costume's a terrible fucking idea. And he's um, not wrong on all counts. No, he's not. But it also I, kind of read of the Grunewald put had this idea. Then the fan mail came in, and we're just going to reprint some of that fan mail as comic panels <laughs> to explain the change we're about to do. I will go back to how clunky all this delivery is, and I totally forgotten about this piece in this comic. Maybe mm-hmm. I. Locked it out of my mind for obvious reasons, but reading it this this morning, because I've been a little busy, so I read it this morning, and to see it just like slap me in the face at six in the morning, I was like, ooh, ooh, that's bad. That's that's just rough in, in every aspect. But one of the things that really stuck out at me is the something that was a problem when this comic was being done in the 80s, and you could reprint this panel now, and it has the exact same problem, which is, Last thing he said was, son, our people don't have that many superheroes that we can call our own. That's why every one of you has to stand tall and be something we can be proud of. And I'm like, that, true in 2022. <laughs> yeah, and it, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. And the fact that Grunewald saw that as a problem or, I don't know if he saw no, it as a problem or was told to him that it was a problem. But the point is that he put it on the page as like, hey, this is a problem. And it still is. That jumped out at me. Um, and so he went with the much better name, quote unquote, of Battlestar. I like the name. You, you'll be shocked to hear once again. I like the name Battlestar more than I do the other name that he's using that is well, somewhat. Compared, shocked. yes. Shocked, I know. Shocked. <laughs> well, what else would we have called him? Like All Star? Oh, God. <laughs> um, Punchy McPunterson. I will stand by until the end of time. Fisto. If your only superpower really is superhuman strength or hitting people in the face, it should be something that's more associated with that. I just, I don't know. I, I, I felt like they had a chance to continue the patriotic theme. Battlestar just, again, it, it feels like, oh crap, we need to drop an extra page in here to explain this massive change. We need to come up with a brainstorm quick name because they're about to go to press. I don't know. Battlestar, sure. Well, because they're, I think they already used Patriot, which is one that you could have tried with. Now, now we're going to like spend the next five minutes trying to figure out what Battlestar's name should have been. <laughs> Sit back, listeners. If you have any thoughts, feel free to uh, social media us, whatever social, social media. Social media us. At the time. So seriously, what do you think? What, what's a good one? I mean, so well, I thought Patriot didn't come until Young Avengers. So theoretically, Patriot, I think, was available. I feel like he mentioned Patriot in this comic, or I could be thinking something. Oh, else. maybe, maybe, maybe. Like in a panel or two, he said, "Like before I became Captain America, I was Patriot." I oh, recognize. No, you're right. You're I right. I recognize that flaming dagger. No, no, you're right because John Walker was Patriot before this. But then the the, the name's open, you know. So I mean, you know, he could reclaim it. Um, but 
that might link them back to who Patriot was and reveal John Walker's secret identity as I mean, the, Captain America. The thing that actually gets revealed in three pages from now? Spoilers <laughs> for three pages from now. Spoiler for a comic you've already read. Um, uh, I mean, that's fair. Uh, um, like, you know, uh, The Shield, The American. I mean, there's, there's, there's other stuff. Old Glory. I mean, there's there's a there's an old there's a long history of patriotically named American superheroes that that Marvel could have cribbed from or probably even contributed to and just forgot about. They could have gone the most universal way ever, and a, a shout out to Kirk Russell, Kurt Russell, and just called him Soldier. Yeah. See. Yeah. Sure. There you go. Just Soldier. There you go. So, um, Soldier and Captain America are now being presented ah. to. Um, a people's kind of a PR conference. And uh, Walker says, I'm not the original Captain America. I'm his handpicked successor, which is a lie. Um, he was not, well, I mean, he's not the original Captain America. That part is true. He was not handpicked. Um, that's part of the, the government's story to explain the transition. Are you saying the government uses propaganda and lies to trick people and to believe something that's not true or partially true? Remember I said earlier about things in an 80s comic that shouldn't still be true today? <laughs> oh, but comics just got so political lately. Um, anyway, so, the, so they're, they're, he's playing up the story that um, the original Captain America is retired. Uh, and so I, I was chosen. Um, and so I've, I've chosen uh, my, my colleague, uh, who, whose name is Soldier. And would you please come up and introduce yourselves? Uh, and so it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of all PR stuff, you know, Hey, here, here's the new heroes. Uh, and then but before we move on, I want to mm -hmm. make a small nod to some of the different art that I'm noticing here when I was reading through it and I noticed mm -hmm. is that when you look at Walker in Cap's uniform and in mm -hmm. C Cap earlier, Walker's smile feels exaggerated, like hints yes. towards the Joker in different aspects of it. It's just a unique way to let you know that it's not the same character visually. That's actually a really good point. Uh, I hadn't noticed that until you pointed it out, but now I can't unsee that. You're right, because um, um, his, his smiles do very much look forced, whereas given, Steve's much more natural look. And given what's going to happen to Walker, the, the nod towards the Joker is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. uh, so a news helicopter comes by, and two people jump out uh, who are the left-winger and the right-winger. <laughs> And they have matching blue and yellow outfits with an eagle pointing in different directions. Um, and these are actually, uh, these were two subordinates of Walker back when he was Patriot. Uh, uh, and um, uh, Battlestar was as well. It's just the Battlestar recognized, oh, actually, well, I'm part of the right, the, the correct side of things. Um, and these two are still very kind of radicalized uh, in that regard. And they just immediately start saying, hey, by the way, you're Captain America. His name is John Walker, and he comes from Custer's Grove, Georgia, which, by the way, doesn't exist. I looked it up. Um, and, you know, and so basically just reveals secret identity two minutes into his coming out as a superhero. Shortest super special identity ever. So I have a lot of problems with this, the issue on the whole, mm -hmm. but that is a brilliant touch. Like, oh, yeah. <clears throat> And everything about those couple panels, I loved. And that, that is the most villain thing a villain could do. Beautiful. 
One of the, uh, so the John Walker run obviously has a lot of controversy uh, then and now. Um, but one of the things I actually kind of dug about it is that um, every time John Walker as Captain America made a bad decision, he, there are consequences for it. And the consequences were almost immediate every time. Like he'd make a bad decision and then within an issue or two, that comes back to haunt him. Um, so while he's not a sympathetic character, at the same time, there is a kind of almost tragedy of like, this guy never got a chance to be redeemed. He, he just kept getting kicked in the teeth. But a lot of the time it kicked in the teeth was because like, the reason why these guys were rebelling against him is because he treated them like dirt when he was the Patriot. And when he got a chance to Captain America, he actively blew them off. So he created this problem. Um, yes, he's getting kicked in the teeth here, but also he created this situation. So like you said, there's kind of a Joker uh, uh, origin story, and it's played out for a long time. It, it, it's, it's a surprisingly long build for Greenwald to continue to, to just heap shit on Walker. But again, each time it's like, well, he did that. So yeah, he earned that. And oh, he did this. Probably earned that so, too. To that point, in case we ever talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and this is a spoiler for a show that's been out for a little bit, but if you ever do watch it, they tried to make Walker a likable character, mm-hmm. which is something I totally disagree with. Walker is not a likable character, even though he does like some atrocious things in that show. Right. And I won't give spoilers in case we talk about it, but it should have been closer to this. Right. Is who Walker is. Which also, right. funnily enough, makes my earlier joke about Kurt Russell even more on point because Walker is played by Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell's son. Boom. Look at that. Connections. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, but no, the, the appeal of the John Walker storyline in Captain America is that you're wanting him to redeem himself. It's the he keeps making bad decisions. Not in the noir sense of there are no good decisions, but like, no, he's actually making the wrong choice frequently. And you keep going, we're Captain America now, so maybe you can change. And it just keeps not happening. Uh, And that's the the appeal of it. So that's one of the reasons why it's like, I can almost see why this didn't spin off into its own comic to a degree, because that would be a bleak comic to read on some level. But I think there's also... The interest, I think there would have been something interesting about having Walker just be the Captain America comic, spin Steve Rogers into his own separate comic for a while, and just the audience going, no, this is your Captain America. You got to live with this for a while. And let that status quo sit for a year, or, you know, 10, 12, 15 issues before maybe swapping it back. Um, I feel like giving him the entire comic would have sold that this is uncomfortable better. Is this a time during Marvel's, one of Marvel's bankruptcies? I believe so, which is why I think they didn't do it. I don't think, I don't think they were – because this is the, close to the 90s where they're starting to lose money. So I think they were they were nervous about this direction. That's what I, I was thinking too. Otherwise, that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. And I could have had my three Captain America runs that I wanted. Right, right. Uh, so there's a punch-up. Um, and there's a lot of them calling each other out. Um a, a, a really uncomfortable moment of uh, Battlestar calling out, uh, I believe it's right winger appropriately. Um, and white winger goes, how would they ever teach you to talk so white? And I'm just like, Oh, well, I mean, if you really want to make sure I hate these guys, you're doing a great job. Grinwald, Cause fuck as, these guys. As someone that has had to take that insult. It is frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. Um, but during this exchange though, it is, dropped like it's nothing but all of them underwent the same super 
equivalent like power broker, I think, treatment to get their superpowers, which are like right. low level super super strength, endurance, things like that. Which is interesting to know how easy and readily available that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, again, kind of buried in this, um, we, we recap, but this, is, this happened in previous Captain America issues, but um, uh, all four of them did go through a background check. It's just that these two guys were, were vetted because they had criminal backgrounds. Um, and uh, so they're bitter about this, but also they're horrible human beings. So they, it's, it's like, there's like a brief moment of like, you know, well, yeah, well, you're not that great either. But reality, it, it's, it's all sounds like sour grapes. It sounds like a bunch of thugs trying to justify why they're losers. And I think that it's done appropriately. But near the end of it, they're, they're um, left winger. He's like, you know, how's it feel? Be a chump at your own coming out party. Meh, 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 meh. And finally, Walker just says, just shut up and kicks him. This is not the calm, cool, collected Steve Rogers. Walker has a temper. And we're already seeing that, uh, and they get they get captured, um, but basically Walker's like they they won our our public relations are in the toilet right now, uh, and it's like of course he's like who would have thought our old army buddies would be so resentful? <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty clear why, um. Uh, but uh, it's 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 setting a tone for okay, Captain America. This new Captain America is officially out. He is active. He's publicly aware, and not only does he have a mysterious background, and the cover story is already unraveling. Uh, the government cover story is already unraveling. But on top of that, Walker was easily goaded into being way too aggressive in this fight. He lost his temper and, frankly, lost control of the situation. And so it's like, this is not a great start. And, and like you said, later on the run, it continues to go downhill. And the other interesting thing is, if you if you note, Walker looks to be the worst fighter out of all four of them. Yeah. Battlestar actually does a, has a, 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 does a pretty good job in the fight overall. Um, and actually uses his shield reasonably well, whereas Walker just using it as a club. And now it's just like an interesting thing to, to note also given the vast difference between Captain America was Cap, Cap is the best, I want to say like the best fighter in the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. And take that Punisher. If, if, if we had uh, uh, reorganized this comic a little bit, it would have been interesting to have a couple of pages of the Tony Steve fights and then jump into a couple pages of this fight. So the reader could see these are Similar in theme, but there's very different things going on here. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, anything else about this second story? I feel like we're doing a normal genre list because anything about this episode before we move on? <laughs> well, that's basically what it is. It is a three episode slash issue book. And mm -hmm. in the normal show, we do like three or four episodes and we just go from one to one. And the stories are so inherently different, but yet linked. It is right. the same. Uh, nothing but. I, I don't like John Walker. Shock. Yeah, big shock. Uh, so we have um, the third story, which is the Serpent Society in our midst. And for context, because this, this seems to come out of nowhere in our coverage, um, the Serpent Society has been an ongoing organization dealing with uh, uh, 
Steve Rogers has been dealing with for most of Grunewald's run at this point. And uh, it started off as basically uh, um, someone, um, I'm blanking on his name already, uh, the head of the, the Serpent Society, uh, Sidewinder, thank you, um, decides to pull together all of these snake-themed villains and put them into an organization. And so initially it's like, okay, it's pretty straightforward. Let's, let's, you know, we all have a brand. Let's, let's, let's work together. Right. Uh, and, but what Grunwald does with this is interesting is because he brings a couple of logical things to the fore. One of which is that just because we're all snake themed doesn't mean we have any way, shape or form getting along. And they don't, they actually have wildly different interests and ideas and personalities. And then the second thing is that Sidewinder actually wants us to be kind of a weird supervillain union. And so we have plots of him doing things like trying to institute like dues and bylaws and profit sharing. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, one, there's one sub storyline where he actually says, I will give you legal protection on your mask and name. Uh, and his, his argument is, if you ever get captured, I will always rescue you. And I'll always give you profit of anything we do, whether you're in the job or not. And all I have to do is pledge loyalty to me. And this goes badly because they're supervillains. But Sidewinder is weirdly committed to this. He genuinely believes in this snake-themed supervillain utopia. Do you know how – all right. Do you know how awesome that would be if he had just a small group or core group that believed in that principle? That would yeah. become like one of the scariest supervillain teams in the Marvel Universe. And that's what's so weirdly interesting about this subplot is because like when you start thinking it through, it's like if even half of this team was actually on board, this, the service side would be genuinely frightening. They would get shit done. Um, and they had a long-term plan to eventually go legit. It's like we get enough money in, we get the organization done, then we can quietly retire at these, we can protect our intellectual property, but we can either go superheroes or we can just go legit and retire. And it wasn't the whole villains will always take more money. It's the, no, I have a five-year plan for my villainy. <laughs> and it's like it's a sustainable, realistic five-year plan for the Marvel Universe. So Sidewinder has got a plan. Are you saying Sidewinder is revolutionary? <laughs> he is. He's, he's the best capitalist in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> You do know that, if I remember right, the Serpent Society comes back in Sam's first run as Captain America. Yes. And that's one of the groups he has to deal with. I think they're more of a joke by that point. Yeah. Um, uh, but so this is an interesting idea because this is really an entirely supervillain-led storyline. And over time, this is basically becomes the backup story. The, 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 the comic shuffles around, but... Um, eventually it settles in the pattern of one main story, one backup story, and the Circuit Society becomes one of the backup stories to uh, uh, Captain America. And all chance between this and the John Walker stories. Uh, and then, like you said, eventually uh, Diamondback turns face, kind of. Um, she, she starts to realize that villainy is not where she wants to go, uh, and eventually ends up in a relationship with uh, you know, uh, Steve Rogers. So this all ties together. But um, we're at an interesting moment where it's just about the villains. Uh, and so uh, we have Sidewinder doing his quarterly report. 
He's like, we have cleared $1 million last year alone. Um, we got four new applicants. Uh, we have to see what, you know, if you can prove yourself to the new organization. But I think our long-term trending goals for Q4 are on track. <laughs> that is so awesome, though. Like, everything about it. I, I just, I love it. I know. Like, when I first started reading this, I did not expect the Serpent Society to be the story I would really fall in love with in this issue. But it really is. It's 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 charming almost. He even talks about the pending assignments at the tomorrow 9 a.m. meeting. They do have a stand-up, Chris. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, it turns out that Sidebinder is having um, a relationship with Black Mamba, who's one of the um, villains. And uh, everyone's starting to get their rooms. So we're at a point where Sidewinder's still building up. So uh, um, Diamondback is partnered with uh, someone else. I don't get her super old name, but she says her name is Teresa. Uh, and so it's like, you know, hey, you know, that guy sounds pretty hot. You know, you know Black Mama's really into her. Um, you can, you know, you can call me Rachel uh, Rattler. Oh, no, I didn't say no, actually, you know, she says you set her up with the Rattler. Uh, and so they're just, you know, chit-chat, kind of people getting to know each other. Um, and it turns out that uh, Teresa actually is is betraying everyone. And she's a signal beacon. And she summons in someone that we're not supposed to know who it is, but it's a very distinctive costume. That green outfit and you're dealing with anything snake related instantly lets you know who it is. Right, right, right. Um, uh, so... Uh, um, Although I just blanked on her name, Viper? No. Viper. Uh, Viper, okay, I was right. Cool. Um, so it brings in Viper, who is uh, the head of AIM at this point. She's been in charge of a lot of different organizations over, over the years. Uh, but anyway, it's their rival group. Um, and so uh, she, she, she gets basically teleported in. Uh, they go to uh, abduct Black Mamba to take her outfit um, Viper wears Black Mama's outfit. Now, Black Mama has black hair. Viper has green hair. Somehow, Sidewinder doesn't see this. But he's because reading papers. into the quarterly reports and figuring <laughs> out how to make them more money to keep them sustainable. That That is dedication. That even though his uh, co-worker slash girlfriend slash role-playing partner is coming in, he needs to like get that bottom line squared away before fun time. Right. And he's like... This is just so wonderful. Um, he is in a, a snake-themed bed. So he's a, the headboard is a huge cobra thing. But he's just like a, a balding guy smoking a pipe in a smoking jacket, just sitting in bed. <laughs> he's just a guy. So do you think this is their joke of Cobra Commander? You know what? Um, possibly because uh, Hama will have been doing G.I. Joe at this point in Marvel. And there was a lot of ribbing amongst the artists and writers at this point. So it may have been like, this is a, a, a rib at Hamma's Cobra Commander. But there's another gag in here, which is even better, is as he's going over the quarterly report, he says, um, blah, blah, blah. It, kind of tra it trails into his thought. Still owes us from the Sumatran rat, Sumatran rat affair. And the rat of Sumatra is actually one of the unwritten cases of Sherlock Holmes. Ah. Wow. I Watson that. makes a, a, a comment about the, the, the rat of Sumatra, which the world is not yet prepared for. <laughs> well, that's a Sherlock Holmes deep cut. 
inside of the potential G.I. Joe deep cut inside of this weird domestic Superphone sitcom. I, I give more kudos to this now than I did before. And Isn't it wildly it was, weird? It is brilliant. I love it. But then you also get a mention of the Zodiac. Yes, yes. I like Zodiac Society. Yeah, they had some shenanigans. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I'm actually reading the uh, Avengers run now where they're up to, to their stuff. Um, and, and again, I think it's, there's, there's certainly some similarities there because um, the Zodiac in both Nick Fury and also deep in the Avengers run had their own kind of internal conflicts. And there were some subplots where they spent a, a more than a normal amount of time into their machinations. But again, this is the, one of the rare times where the focus is purely on the supervillain team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, uh, Viper sneaks up to him. Uh, uh, he, uh, he gets, she gets bit cause she has venom. And uh, it's like, you're not Tanya. It's like, yeah, the, the green hair didn't give it away. Uh, but he disappears because his, his power is teleportation. That's actually one of those things. And that's how he sold himself as the leader of the service society. He's like, I can break, I can get that anywhere. So if you get captured, I'll just pop in, take you, pop out. We're done. That's it. Um, but uh, he has the snake venom injected in him. So she thinks he'll be dead. And now the Viper can take her rightful place. Um, so uh, he appears from the Diamondback. Uh, and she sees that he's uh, about to um, die. So, uh, and she says, I thought the idea of having uh, snake venom was ideas that everyone, j- a, a, a joke. It's like, you know, playing too much of the theme. It's like, no, actually having snake venom antidote turns out to be a good thing to have <laughs> when you're in a snake themed villain group. Uh, but it's a universal antitoxin, which is nice. Um, and then, uh, um, one of the, uh, I think it's the Rattler breaks in uh, to see what's going on. And he amusingly says bunk inspector because there's a man in the woman's bunk. It's just like, it's, just, it's a throwaway gag, but it's, like, it's just so funny. <laughs> uh, so Sidewinder teleports away again. Um, now they're in the communications. Uh, and so uh, Diamondback uh so she's like checking the monitors to see what's going on, and she recognizes that some of the, that some of the snake guys that are not part of the Serpent Society are now infiltrating. So we have a different snake-themed organization is infiltrating the Serpent Society. So we have a snake war going on, and that's where we we land up. And she calls Captain America's hotline to ask him for help with the snakes of a war that's going on. And why am I so much in love with this stupid subplot, Chris? <laughs> Because it is ridiculous and it is brilliant from all the nods and the amount of drama they put into it so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, because this is like eight pages. It, it, it's not that long. Yeah. Um, but it is far away the most interesting part of this entire comic book. And that is saying a lot given we were supposed to have an Iron Man and Cap fight. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I think we had some we, – we talked – I think we ran as much interest about that fight as we could, but at the end of the day, it was just kind of a recap of the fight we already had. Yeah. Uh, so it, it didn't, we didn't need this issue. It, I put it in because it was the Marvel recommended reading order and um, it does set up more Captain America status quo stuff, which we talked about this before. For an organic crossover, that's what it should be doing. This is in Mark Renwald's book, so he should be using this opportunity to set up more interesting stuff for his own storyline. So it's doing its job. It's not the, it's not the storylines we're following, so that's that's the only downside of it. Um, but 
it's a good example of what a crossover should be doing. Each book should be taking that potential and using it to spin off their own interesting stuff rather than conforming to some kind of giant plan where you have to read each of these things as pieces and they don't really contribute anything to the the, the series that are ostensibly hosting them. Yep, because you're only going to have those Iron Man readers for one issue, maybe two mm-hmm. if you have multiple, and you need to like hook them on your own comic to then get them to come buy yours to increase sales. Right. So if you were an Iron Man reader picking up this comic, <laughs> you would probably be wanting to read Serpent Society. <laughs> so it, it was an interesting read. I, I am glad that you added it to the queue. Mm. But wow, it's, it's still jarring to like go from the concrete, coherent storylines throughout to a anthology-esque approach as one of the later issues. Yeah. Um, so next issue, we will definitely be going back to uh, Dave McElhinney's scripts. So we're going to the thing you wanted to talk about last time, which is Iron Man 230 in the introduction yeah. of Firepower. I want the most 90s, 90s. It is ever 90s in the 90s. And the thing is, I think it's still like the late 80s. So we're in that kind of, you know, the 90s are starting to become a thing phase, which is an interesting moment in Marvel because when you look, I've been looking back at Marvel at nice comics. And there's some genuinely good stuff in the nineties. I think kind of gets glossed over in, you know, the whole image comicsness of it all. Uh, you mean but, couches? Yes. Yes. Um, but like, on the same thing, like, you know, we look at things like the pouches or the, the excessive things, or even like the, the weirdly brutal, yeah, um, ridiculous Punisher comics of the time period. If you look at the, 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 the points of the nineties, they have such a gravity, but if you look at the other margins of the nineties, there's some genuinely interesting, cool stuff happening. And so this is a weird, a liminal moment of Marvel about to catch a trend uh, and arguably even create a trend that they will then try to ride through their bankruptcy. Uh, so they're clearly throwing everything at the wall and they don't know what's going to stick. We know in retrospect what's going to stick, and we'll see that more next issue. But until then, we're still kind of like, it's not quite in its fully formed state yet. So it's almost kind of a little jarring compared to the heavily 80s style of comic book writing. So it's, 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 it's an interesting moment of like, we know where this will go. We know the larger thing. It's, it's like reading old issues where Cable's first introduced, and it's like you don't realize <laughs> the gravity vortex that Cable's going to become. Or even like early or sorry, late 70s um, X-Men comics, Wolverine's first introduced. It's like, you know, seeing him before he becomes the center of the Marvel Universe, practically, it's really interesting to see that kind of watching a comic shift around something like that. So Firepower is another example. He's not a prominent character, but it is a moment of, of way of storytelling that we're starting to see the first edges of before it becomes the dominant form. You say that he's not a predominant character, but I have never forgotten Firepower to this day. <laughs> So it, it is not a major character, but is memorable for certain people of a certain age if it hits you at a certain time. So to summarize, you remember you remember Firepower, you forgot Battlestar. Yes. <laughs> there you go. So if people want to ask you more about your opinions of Firepower, where would they find you online? Uh, you can find me on social media and in the Darker Hue Discord or on my website where I may restart my blog. Okay. to talk about firepower um uh, you can find me at my website pugstady.com p-u-g-s-t-a-d-y or yeah come into the discord um hang out and we'd love to talk about this stuff because clearly we're very excited about it even for the stuff that we're like oh we didn't enjoy it as much we're still 
it's still fun to go through and and relive these comics. So we hope you've been enjoying it, and we'll see you next time for Iron Man 230. Peace.